Well, thank you for that uh, introduction, Scott. And uh, again, welcome those of you who are here. And I want to say hi to everybody who's watching at one of the campuses or maybe online. And I just have to say at the beginning, it is just, it is a tremendous blessing to be in this space and to be with you. And um, uh, a church that for me will always, always, always feel like home. If we haven't met yet, I served on staff here at Menlo for 15 years. And this is the church where God rebuilt my faith when I was in college. This is the church where I've made lifelong friendships that I still have today. It's a church where I cut my teeth in ministry. And I'm so grateful for the patience of so many leaders through the years that gave me opportunities to uh, lead and teach and serve. And most importantly, this is the place where I met my amazing and wonderful wife, Nina, who is still the love of my life and the hero of my story. And when we moved to Seattle, we had a daughter who was just five months old, and now she is almost five and a half. And we have a son now as well, Jude. Uh, so Nora, our daughter, and Jude, our son, who's two and a half. And I have a picture of our family, I think, from this past Easter. Uh, that's us at Easter. Um, and... Uh, Yes, I know, I'm a little older, I'm a little grayer than I was last time. In fact, I have a picture of me right when I left Menlo. This is what I was like when I left Menlo. <laughs> and the years have not been wonderful, but they've been, they've been years, right, as they always are. And uh, so much has changed in my life, and I know so much has changed here as well. And the years have not been easy in a number of ways. And I know uh, you're still waiting to see who God will call to be your next pastor. And as Scott said, just name it, I'm not here as a senior pastor candidate. Uh, God is still very much calling us to the ministry we have in Seattle. We love where God's called us and believe in the work that we're doing there. Uh, but I just want to pause and do something uh, that I think is really important because in seasons like you've been in, it's really important to stop and honor the amazing women and men who are leading you through it. And you have an amazing staff team, amazing elders, amazing volunteers, and these are the hardest years to lead. And they've been so faithful. So can we honor the staff and the leaders here that serve so faithfully at all the locations? Um, uh, most important, God has been faithful to this church for 149 years. And friends, that's not going to change. Um, in fact, before we flew down this past week, I actually went back uh, to my computer and found my notes from my very first message that I ever gave on this platform here at Menlo uh, the weekend of February 11th, 2007. Uh, it was a below average message at best, uh, but God was just getting started with me. And he used this place and this church and this community and this amazing ministry to grow and challenge and transform me in remarkable ways, just like he wants to do with you. And that's really what Menlo's about. That's what this Jesus Church DNA is all about. Uh, and when I read my final words from that message at Menlo then, it felt like the right words to start with today. 15 years ago, I said, the Apostle Paul once wrote that the same God who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, which means Jesus will always finish what he started. He will always finish what he started with me, with you, and with Menlo. So before I jump into the message, I'd love to pause and just pray over you, if that's all right. Is that all right? 
So if you can just be in a posture of receiving right now, whether, again, you're watching from home or in this room, just be in a posture of receiving from God for a moment. And so Jesus, you are the Lord of our life, and you are the pastor of this church, and you have cared for this congregation and its ministry for 149 years, and you're just getting started. And so I pray over this place and these people, Spirit, that you would fill it with your presence anew, that you would remind each one of these individuals that you are just getting started in their life, and you have amazing plans for this place and its ministry, and its reach across the Bay Area and around the world. Jesus, we will celebrate and worship you today for all that you've done in our life and how you remain the leader and the light that we need the most. And Jesus, we're so grateful that we get to call ourselves part of this church family, Uh, whether just for today, if you're visiting, or maybe for many, many years. God, we're grateful for this place and the way you've used it. And we pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Kind of feels like we should just close in worship right now, right? Yep. But then you would miss another below average message that I have planned for you. So here we go. You've been in this series called Being human, kind of walking through the life of this man in the Bible named David. Uh, And one of the best ways to explore the life of David is not just looking at the stories of his life, but the stories of the people around him, his sons, his friends, even his enemies. And today we're going to be looking at one of the most significant people in the life of David, someone who was supposed to be a friend, a mentor, a leader, a father figure, if you will, but he turned out to be someone who was deceptive and manipulating and just downright awful. His name, as many of you know, was King Saul, and he was what people today might call toxic, kind of a toxic person. We'll talk more about that in a moment. And he's actually, as unpleasant as his life is or was, he's a great person to study and explore because most of us have had or will have someone in our life or influence or family who's just kind of toxic. And so the question is, what do we actually do about that? What do we do about those people? Aren't you glad you feeling came to church today for this kind of topic, right? Yeah, it's really exciting. But before we dive in, I just want to name a few things just to make things clear about what toxic doesn't mean. So when I say toxic, I don't actually mean someone who's difficult. I think we have a slide for that one. Someone who's, so toxic doesn't mean difficult. Does anyone have, uh, know someone else in your life who can be difficult? Don't look at them. Just sort of raise your hand if you have somebody, right? <laughs> difficult people are people who challenge us. They stretch us. Being around them might take more effort or patience or perseverance. But here's the thing. God uses difficult people to grow you and to mature you. Uh, and to help you become the person you're supposed to be. And I tell people all the time, if you don't have a difficult person in your life, just call the church, and we can assign one to you, okay? Like, we'd be happy to do that to you. But toxic doesn't mean difficult. And toxic also doesn't mean someone who's hard to love. Because we all have people in our lives that are hard to love for a variety of reasons, right? Maybe they have very different political views than you. Or maybe their lifestyle or their values or their beliefs kind of rub you the wrong way or they offend you in some way. And it can be hard to love those kind of people. In fact, one of the biggest challenges for me in pastoring a church in Seattle is learning to love all the Seahawks fans. 
Yeah, I tell you, every Sunday in, in football season, every Sunday, our church is filled with people wearing Seahawks jerseys. They're just everywhere. So when I'm standing there preaching, I have to remind myself that God loves Seahawks fans just as much as he loves Niner fans. No, I'm serious. He really does. He's not happy about it, but he, he does, okay? But just because somebody's hard to love doesn't mean they're toxic. When I say toxic, I really mean just kind of toxic. It's that person who's always lying or manipulating or blaming. It's that person you spend hours, maybe over the course of years, patiently and lovingly trying to change or improve or give counsel or wisdom to, but that friend is still manipulative. Or that family member still won't listen to you. Or that spouse is still unremorseful. Here's a one way I would define toxic. A toxic person is someone whose character or behavior poisons a relationship in such a way that makes them impossible to trust or even unsafe to be around. Impossible to trust or even, at times, unsafe to be around. And by the way, I'm not just talking about people out there. Sometimes toxic people are in places like this too. Someone may listen to this talk later today, and they may think about you because of a toxic pattern of behavior from your past. But at some point, you're going to be, uh, have a relationship with or be involved with someone in your life whose character or behavior has become toxic. And the question is, what do we do? What do we do? And that's actually the question that David had to answer in his life. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, we're going to dig into some scripture this morning. It's going to be great. Uh, you can turn to 1 Samuel, uh, and we're going to be reading through a story in 1 Samuel. And just a bit of context before we get to the scripture. Uh, after defeating Goliath, David has become like an overnight celebrity in Israel. His Instagram has blown up. His YouTube views are way up. Like he is very popular. Everybody loves David, except for King Saul who feels jealous and envious of his popularity and his power. And so Saul sets out, many of you know the story, he sets out to have David killed. Which, by the way, it's kind of a little sign that you're a toxic person when you're going after someone like that. Just kind of a side note. But Saul tried several times through other people to have David eliminated. But after multiple failed attempts, he decides he's going to take matters into his own hands and go out and take care of it himself which is where we pick up our story. This is 1 Samuel 22, starting in verse 6. If you want to follow along, I'm going to have it here on the screen as well. So here's our story. Now Saul heard that David and his men had been discovered. And Saul was seated, spear in hand, under the tamarisk tree at the hill of Gebeah, with all of his officials standing at his side. He said to them, listen, men of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make all of you commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? Is that why you have all conspired against me? No one tells me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is concerned about me or tells me that my son has incited my servant to lie and wait for me as he does today. But Doeg the Edomite, by the way, what a great name. You think about a name for a kid or a grandkid, go with Doeg. That's kind of a classic one. Doeg the Edomite, who was standing with Saul's official, said, I saw the son of Jesse come to Ahimelech, and he gave him provisions and the sword of Goliath uh, the Philistine. 
Now, by the way, this is when uh, they summon for Ahimelech. He comes to Saul, and Saul says this to that priest. Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse? Which, by the way, that's David. I should have said that earlier. Giving him bread and a sword and inquiring of God for him so that he has rebelled against me and lies and wait for me just as he does today. And the priest Ahimelech's like, I didn't do anything like that. That's a wrong accusation. He defends himself, which makes Saul really, really mad. So Saul's response to that, last verse, verse 16, well, you will surely die, Ahimelech, you and your whole family. And then our good friend Doeg the Edomite actually goes to that town and eliminates all the priests, all his family, basically everybody in town. It's an encouraging story, right? Yeah. But this passage actually helps us identify some of the key characteristics that you'll see or find in a toxic person. First, the story reminds us that Saul is exceedingly jealous in his life, exceedingly jealous. The entire situation is based on his jealousy of David's success. And he's also kind of narcissistic and self-absorbed. Remember that part about Saul sitting there or standing there under the shade on the tree holding his spear? So why is he doing that? He's not in danger. He's not close to his enemies. He's surrounded by all of his guards and men. He's relaxing in the shade. He's holding that spears away saying, I don't want any of you to forget who I am and how powerful I am. See, toxic people have one concern in their life. You know who it is? Themselves. That's right. And another uh, characteristic, he's quite passive-aggressive. I don't know if you picked this up in the story. It's fun to go back and read it kind of with a passive-aggressive tone. So instead of asking them directly, are any of you on David's side? He says, will the son of Jesse give all of you vineyards? (laughs) Is he going to bless all of you? Is he going to do all these things? Is that why all of you have conspired against me? So passive and indirect. It's like when you leave that note by the fridge for the person who's left the food out, kind of saying, you know, put the food back in the fridge. Or when you put the empty roll of toilet paper by someone's pillow because they never refill it. You guys never tried that one? Is it just me? I'm telling you, it works, okay? Okay, it works. Passive aggressive, but it works. But he's not just passive aggressive. He's also deeply manipulative. He says, none of you is concerned about me, which isn't true. They've all committed their lives to him. And he says, none of you told me that David is preparing to attack, which also isn't true. But one of the signs of a toxic person, and you know this maybe from your own story, is they begin to kind of spin the truth or spin the story, manipulate reality in such a way that keeps them in control or keeps them in power. And then instead of taking ownership, he blames a local priest. He says, you're the reason this is happening. And toxic people, by the way, they're never to blame, are they? It's never their fault, right? At least according to them. And when the priest says, I had nothing to do with it, Saul escalates the conflict and threatens to kill his family, which, by the way, his guards refuse to do. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But Doeg the Edomite, he wants to get on Saul's good side because with toxic people, you always have to pick a side. There's no room for gray. It's me or you're the enemy. And they demand unquestioning loyalty. So so Doeg goes, kills Ahimelech, the other priest, but he doesn't stop there. He goes to the priest's hometown and destroys it too. And you know what Saul does in response to that? Nothing. Nothing. He didn't say, wow, you, you went a little too far. Like, that's not what I called for. He didn't say, wow, you really crossed the line. I never asked for that. Instead, Saul shows no remorse, no empathy. 
And at no point in the story is Saul willing to listen or change his mind. And that may be the biggest red flag of all with toxic people. In fact, if you look back at Saul's life, and some of you know his life well, you've read about it, he, he never listens to God. He never listens to counsel. He won't listen to Samuel. He won't even listen to his own son, Jonathan. So if we had to build like an online dating profile for Saul, this is what you might find. Exceedingly jealous, narcissistic, passive-aggressive, manipulative, quick to blame or accuse. He escalates conflict, makes threats, demands loyalty, lacks remorse, and is unwilling to listen. Only likes long walks on the beach or whatever else you might want to find there, right? This is a toxic person. And by the way, I'm not just talking about one or two of these that may come out of you on a bad day. That happens to all of us, right? Like we all have days where a few of these come out, right? Is it just me? Am I the only person that has those bad days? Maybe you guys are also good. Why don't you just go on home? You don't need this message. You're all doing great, okay? Just me. So we all have those bad days, at least where I do, where one or two of these things may come out of us. Uh, but a toxic person is someone who checks most or all of these boxes most or all of the time. And this is where this gets personal, right? Because some of you grew up in a home with someone like this. Some of you have worked with someone like this or had a boss who was like this. Some of you may have dated or married someone like this. And you know how difficult and disorienting it can be, right? So what do you do? What do you actually, like, practically do? Well, I think one of the first steps we have to take is actually being very clear and aware of what you need to not do or what you need to stop doing. Uh, there's a few common mistakes that people, really well-intentioned people, will tend to make when it comes to toxic or uh, uh, really difficult people in our lives. And the first mistake that we tend to make is we overlook it. We just kind of overlook it. You know, I imagine there were people that day going, you know, well, that's just Saul being Saul. You know, that's just, that's just the way he is. That's just kind of how he operates. You know, kind of par for the course for that guy. You know, there he goes destroying a village again. It's just Saul being Saul. And remember, Saul was a charismatic and powerful and really compelling guy. In fact, when he was anointed by uh, Samuel as king, we actually read this kind of back in his earlier story, that he was as handsome a young man as can be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than everybody else. He's an attractive guy, a charismatic guy, a powerful guy, a man of great stature. So he had lots of people who wanted to be in his inner circle. They wanted his approval. They wanted to be liked and approved. They wanted to be in that kind of special place. They wanted him to succeed so they could feel successful as well. But here, and here's the deal in this one. It's why it's so important in terms of how we overlook it. Kind of a principle in this one. The more gifted or attractive or charismatic a person is, the more likely you are to overlook toxic patterns of behavior. Isn't that true? Like the more charismatic, the more gifted, the more attractive, the more successful, the more intelligent that person is, the more likely we all are, we all are, to begin to overlook things that might be a yellow flag or a red flag in their behavior. This happens in dating relationships, when people go back, stay with or go back to the same person that mistreats them because they're attracted to them, they don't know how to live without them. Happens in families when someone makes excuses for someone's bad behavior because they're related to them and they love them and they just kind of want to not look at that part of their life. Happens in workplaces, happens in politics. By the way, it happens in churches too, doesn't it? 
And it's not just because that leader sets out to become a toxic person. By the way, nobody sets out to become a toxic person. In fact, when Saul was first anointed king, his first response was, hey, I'm not qualified. I'm not from the right family. I'm not from the right tribe. I don't have the credentials. But as the years went by and he gained more and more power, he became more and more toxic and terrible, and the people around him just continued to overlook it. It's a major mistake that we make. Here's another mistake we make with toxic people in our lives. We actually can become to the place where we enable it. We can actually enable it. Uh, We remain silent when we should speak up. We tolerate or accommodate behavior that we know, we know, we know is wrong. You know, oh, my husband, he's just like that. You know, it's been a hard week for him. Or my wife, you know, she's just like that when she gets angry. I know, I know, but she's just like that. We make excuses for, or even sometimes we get to a posture where we start defending the person who's doing it. Because usually the enabler to a toxic person is someone who's really close to that person, a close friend, a relative, a spouse. And in Saul's case, that enabler was our good friend Doeg the Edomite. You know, it's a strange name, but Doeg the Edomite. He spoke up when the other guards were silent. He followed those uh, Saul when the other guards wouldn't. He didn't cause Saul's bad behavior, but he enabled it. So my question for you, just to kind of think about this morning, and just to have some courage as you think about this, are there ways that you're enabling someone's toxic behavior? Are there ways where you might be kind of enabling or holding that person up in some way? Just be thinking about that. And the last one, a third mistake that we make when it comes to toxic people or toxic behavior, we try to change it. Of course we do, right? We want to see that person change. We want to see that person grow. Isn't that the loving thing to do to help someone change and grow and improve? Well, sure it is, right? And with normal people, even difficult people, with people that are hard to love, of course that's the right thing to do. But here's the thing. And some of you know this, you've experienced this. It's almost impossible to change a toxic person because if they were willing to change, they wouldn't be toxic. And that's the problem, isn't it? But there's a deeper problem I want to identify. When you're around them or trying to invest in them or trying to grow them or trying to uh, do all the work you're trying to do to help them, here's what happens. They don't change. Guess who changes? You do. You do. It's kind of like, kind of, I've seen this illustration before, I thought it was helpful. It's kind of like what happens when you put food coloring in water. You know, you think of yourself as like, I'm going to help this person. But if you actually take food coloring in water, what happens is they get into your life and guess who changes? You do. You get more impatient. You get more frustrated. You start to lash out in anger. You start drinking too much. You start to become the kind of person that you're trying to change just because you've gotten really, really close to that toxic person. So, what do we do? Well, if we can't overlook it or enable it or change it, what do we actually do? Well, for those of you who have a King Saul in your life, I just want to pause and say, I know, I know, I know there's no exact formula for how you walk through these relationships. There's no three steps and it all gets better, right? And only, if only there were, if only there were, because these situations are deep, they're painful, at times they're quite awful, and they're messy, but there are a few guidelines that I want to share with you that come out of this story that I, can, I think can help us at least begin to navigate those toxic relationships a little bit differently. 
And here's the first kind of guideline I want to share with you. You have to set clear boundaries. You have to set really clear boundaries. And by the way, the boundaries aren't for them. The boundaries are for you. They're for you. Because toxic people don't have boundaries. That's part of what makes them toxic. They would love to have who they are kind of take over everything around them. You have to set boundaries on your involvement with them. And there's a great picture of this in Saul's story. When Saul gets angry, he's making threats. He orders his guards to kill this priest named Ahimelech. And look at what some of his officials do. It says, but the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand and strike the priest of the Lord. In other words, they say, no, we're not going to do it. And by the way, no is a really important biblical word when it comes to dealing with toxic people because it sets a boundary. If it says, it's you saying there's a line that I will not cross, there are behaviors I will not tolerate. Even if the other person gets upset, even if they get angry or don't like it, the boundaries aren't for them, they're for you. And if there's a person in your life who's always trying to manipulate you, remove yourself. Get help. Talk to your uh, boss if it's someone that you work with. Set a boundary and say no. If you're dating someone who keeps lying to you, it's probably time to stop dating them. Set a boundary and say no. If you're married and there's an ongoing pattern of deceit or neglect and your spouse is unwilling to listen or change, get help. Draw a line. And if if it doesn't help, that may be a a time to separate or stay away from the marriage. Not because God doesn't want you to love that person, but because the best way to love a toxic person, I want you to hear me on this, the best way to love a toxic person is to set a boundary. I know, I know it doesn't feel like the loving thing to do for many of us because we want to care and not set that line, but to set this boundary. Now, let me just say, because I've I've had to do this in my life before, this is not easy. It can bring up and create more conflict. And it's a great idea to talk to a, a, a pastor or counselor or a trusted friend so you're not alone, which brings me to our second guideline. Set boundaries and then find safe people. Find safe people. You cannot navigate a toxic situation or a toxic person without the help and support of safe people in your life. Someone who will listen, someone who will empathize, someone who can understand what you're going through. In Saul's story, after Doeg goes after the priest Ahimelech, all the other priests, and he basically kills all those priests that were with him, the text says this, kind of a, a, a neat side point. It says, but one son of Ahimelech named Abiathar escaped and fled to join David. And he told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. Now get this. Then David said to Abiathar, that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, I knew he would be sure to tell Saul, I am responsible for the death of your whole family. Stay with me. Don't be afraid. The man who wants to kill you is trying to kill me too. Here's our line. You will be safe with me. David, in other words, is saying, I'm a safe person. I understand what you're going through. I get it. In fact, he's able to own his own responsibility, his own involvement with it. And he says, the man who's trying to kill you is trying to kill me too. Like, I understand. And here's the thing. Everybody needs safe people in their life. You need at least one. You need at least one, okay? Could be someone in a life group. Could be a pastor or a mentor or a counselor. Could be someone in a support group that you're part of. And if you can't think of someone uh, in your life right now, 
I want to invite you just to take a connection card or this prayer card and fill it out and ask for help from the church. Reach out, but you need to find someone in your life who is safe to process the toxic situation that you may be in or maybe someone you know is in. And by the way, by the way, some of you God's calling to be that safe person for somebody else. Some of you know someone who's in a situation like this, and you can come alongside and be that safe person who can listen and understand and not judge, but be there with them as they walk through it. So set clear boundaries, find safe people, and then one last one, and this is the hardest one there is, give back grace. Give back grace. Even the most toxic situations, even with the most toxic people, God calls us to give back grace, which, by the way, isn't what you're going to want to do. Trust me, this will not be the first thought in your mind or in your heart. Your first instinct will be to treat them the way they treated you, of course. An unkind word for an unkind word. A passive-aggressive text for a passive-aggressive text. No remorse for no remorse. And I've been there, too, in numerous times in my life. Remember when I was in middle school, there was a kid in my class who bullied me. And for a long time, I hated him for it. And I dreamed, I remember dreaming of what it would be like to get back at him or to have him kind of get a taste of his own medicine, to make him feel the way that I felt. But I never did. And it wasn't because I was somehow more noble or honorable. I was just always afraid to. But I'm so grateful for that grace because years later, I discovered that all that time, his father had been bullying him in his home. And I didn't know it. And I'm so glad in my own kind of middle school way I was able to give back grace. And that's part of what I want to help you see in this. You see, most toxic people are who they are because someone was toxic to them, right? I once heard someone say, when you're dealing with someone who's toxic or mean, don't ask what's the matter with them. Ask what's happened to them. Don't ask, what's the matter with that person? How, how can they be so wrong or off or crazy? or ta-? Ask, what's happened to them? I wonder what pain they've been in. I wonder what growing up was like for them. I wonder who was toxic to them. I wonder what pain, because there's always more to the story, isn't there? There's always more to the story. And David understood that. He understood that being human means I don't have to fix that person. I can trust God with that person. I can seek God's help. I can take refuge in his strength. I can give back grace. In fact, when David had an opportunity to go back and take Saul's life and end the situation, uh, he didn't give back toxic behavior. He gave back grace. He even told Saul when he was in a moment where he could have taken his life, may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds. From toxic people come toxic deeds. So my hand will not touch you. I'm not gonna add to the toxicity of this world by just responding in kind to it. Because you can't redeem evil with evil, friends. Doesn't work. You can't fix toxic with just more toxic. And of course, we're seeing that play out like in a societal way, aren't we, with all the toxic behavior and commentary and finger pointing we're seeing all around our society. Doesn't work, doesn't heal. And so David says, may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done. And here's what's so cool about this. Do you know what God did to avenge the wrongs of toxic people? It's kind of amazing, actually. 
He didn't attack or condemn. He came into the world and this person named Jesus and he gave back grace. And his grace was different. His grace was different. His influence was different. He he would actually draw close to toxic people in this fascinating way and they would get close to him and be around him. But for whatever reason, when they would get close to him, it wouldn't change him. He was still loving. He would still care. He would still believe in them. And then he would spend time with them, and this amazing thing would happen to them. They would change, and they would be healed, and they would be made new. I think about Zacchaeus, the tax collector who cheated his friends and uh, harmed people and sent them in poverty, and Jesus changed him. I think about the woman at the well who Jesus found in relationship disarray. Who knows what had happened to her and what her behaviors had turned into, but Jesus could change her. Perhaps one of my favorite stories around this is another Saul in the Bible, the Saul in the New Testament who was violent, self-absorbed, controlling, and harsh. He persecuted Christians in the early church. The other Saul who was toxic and no one could change, but Jesus did on that road to Damascus because Jesus can change everything for anyone, no matter how toxic they may be. And that's why we give back grace And that's why we return evil with good. Because saving toxic people is not your job. It's God's job. And guess what? This is good news, good part. He is really, really good at it. He's really good at it. If we can set clear boundaries, if we can find safe people to encourage us along the way, if we can give back grace, God can use that to begin to plant seeds and soften the heart of even the most toxic person. Even if you have to stay away from that relationship. And here's why that's really, really good news because there's another toxic person we need to talk about today real quickly and I'm gonna close. And it's not the one out there or the one you're thinking about there. It's the one that's sitting in your seat. It's the one that's standing on this stage. You see, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, if we think about our lives and how we've lived and who we are and how we've behaved, we've all been toxic to somebody. We've all been toxic to somebody. We've all fallen woefully short of who God has called us to be in our lives. We've all missed the mark for what it means to be human, as the series says, including me. But God didn't return evil for evil. And he came into the world in the person of Jesus and he died on the cross to redeem every toxic thing I've ever done and every toxic thing you've ever done. So friends, here's the story. Here's the the point of the story, this can actually be you. It's not just the good news for that toxic person out there. This can be God's good news for you today as well. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you can change everything for anyone. And what a gift that is that that's true. And yet it's so hard for us to believe, not only because of the people who've harmed us, but because of the people that we've harmed. Not only because we've encountered toxic people who have been manipulative or deceptive or downright awful to us or around us, but Jesus, I know if I think about my own life, I've had those moments, though those patterns, where I've been that person. And God, I'm so thankful for your work on the cross through your son Jesus that brings redemption to even the most toxic of sinners, That on that cross, you declared not, Father, you know, get them back for what they've done, 
but forgive them. That's how you've avenged the wrongs of even the most toxic person with the grace of your son Jesus on that cross. So Jesus, we want to receive that anew today. And right now, I want to invite you as you're sitting and listening right now, whether you're watching on one of our campuses or here in this room, I want to invite you to just receive the grace that Christ has paid on the cross for you right now. And it's enough to transform even the most toxic part of your heart as well. And Jesus, we pray also for those situations that we're walking right now with toxic people. They're painful, they're messy, they're difficult. And I ask that you would walk with each person who needs your grace and guidance and comfort as only you can. Jesus, we're thankful for your work. We're thankful for your grace. We pray this in your name. And everybody said, amen. Amen.